Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope, that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. If you want to get your notes out, we're going to jump right in to our conversation today. And as you're following along online, you can click on the YouVersion Bible app and find our church, or you can follow along even in our app as well to follow along the notes today. Write this down for me. Today's topic is the topic of insecurity. Insecurity. And this one actually hits pretty close to home for me because it's of all the ones we're going to talk about, the one that I've dealt with the most feeling insecure, feeling not confident. Actually, I wanted to give you like the actual definition of insecurity today from WebMD it says this, a feeling of inadequacy, not being good enough and uncertainty. It produces anxiety about your goals, relationships, and abilities to handle certain situations. What we're really gonna lean into today is this idea of not being good enough, feeling inadequate. And I want you to know today that what God's word has to say about you is extremely powerful. And this is where life change really starts, being secure about who we are. Because we can walk through practices and processes about how to get healthy, but if the change doesn't happen from the inside out, it's not gonna last. Because I can give you all the tools, all the tips, all the prayers, but if what happens on Monday morning when you look in the mirror and you say, I hate the person that I see, everything else is gonna be secondary. I think this is the foundation for us. That we have to be secure in who we are and secure in the fact that God created us with life, with hope, with promises that he keeps day in and day out. And we want you to feel free. But what's funny is we deal with insecurity almost every day of our life. We literally dealt with insecurity just yesterday in our marriage when it came to celebrating just our Saturday. Saturday is like our Sabbath day where we just get to hang out and have fun. And we love to do is just kind of take pictures of our family during this day. I want to share with you this picture really quick of me and my son Shepard. There he is right there just looking so cute. He's got a little smile on his face because he was loving the little waterfall that was going under the bridge that we were on. Uh, but Adrian showed me this picture. She posted it. The editing, her... I must say, is just really well done. The editing does look nice. Yes, she's very, very well chic in her editing, makes it look very nice. Black and white, very emotional, very raw, very real. Um, but when I first saw this picture, my first reaction was not, oh, look at my cute little son, or look how pretty it is outside. My first reaction was one of insecurity. And it was, man, I look really angry in that picture. I don't know what it is. Like my hands are on my hips. I look like I'm upset. I look like I just got done yelling at my son. And people are going to look at this picture and say, that guy is filled with rage, man. He is angry. What's wrong with him? Because our first reaction when we see ourselves in a picture is normally negative. It like breathed insecurity in me. I'm like, Adrian, can you? I look kind of angry. Can I you take that? I thought he was going to love this photo. I was like, his arms are looking good. Like, he's going to think he looks stacked or something. I have been working out. So, yeah, I do agree with that. But uh, but on the emotional side, I was like, I look horrible. People are going to think I'm a terrible dad, right? And I was like, there's that thought in your mind. We're like, hey, do you mind taking that picture down? I don't look great, right? Like, how would we be, would be honest? Like, the first thing you do when you see a picture of yourself is like, number one, the first thing when you see a picture, you know you're in. 
you look for yourself, right? Whether you're 100 yards in the background or right up front. Come on, let's be honest, who does that? And then you notice, oh, my eyes were close, or I had something in my nose, or my shirt looks wrinkled, or I'm not standing. That's not my good side, right? Now, it happened not only just with me, it happened with Adrian as well, because here's a picture I posted from our day yesterday. Okay, in self-defense, I'm like mid-chew in uh, this photo. <laughs> now, very different circumstance. Now, I look at it, I think it's a very beautiful picture. I think it's super cute. Shepard's just face deep into his sprinkles donut that he was super excited about. But the first thing Adrian, I said, I said, did you see the picture I posted? She goes, yeah, my mouth looks weird. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's mid-chew, everyone understands, we get it, right? But our first reaction, if it doesn't look perfect, if it doesn't look the way we expected, if it feels like it causes us to look a little inadequate or not good enough, our first reaction is insecurity, right? But let me lean into some things today and let me give you some truths about what God says about you. Ephesians chapter one, verse four and six, it says this, it's gonna be up on the screen. It says, even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us. Would you underline that phrase for me? God loved us, God loved you and chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Holy simply means set apart. When God created you, he didn't create you like everyone else on purpose. When God created you, he created you to be holy, to be set apart, to be unique to who you are. And it's then it says without fault in his eyes. I want you to know today, maybe it's your first time in church after a long season for the first time in church ever. God, when he sees you, does not see fault. He sees a son and daughter. Who is this, as we continue, who decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. Would you underline that phrase for me? This is what we wanted to do. Sometimes I feel like we're trying to convince, we feel like we're convincing God to love us, right? Okay, God, I'm at church today, so please love me. I need you, please. God, I'm praying, I just want you to like me. And God's like, I already do. Like, this is what I wanted to do. This whole process of salvation and redemption and forgiveness and freedom and healing, I wanted to do that because I chose you and I loved you and you're adopted into my family. And it gave him great pleasure as well that God enjoys being involved in our life, that we can be secure today, that knowing God loves to be with us so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us as we belong to his dear son. Man, we can be confident in this verse today that we're adopted, that we're in his family, and God was glad to do it. But still we get insecure, right? There are, there are things in our life that contribute to our insecurity. And why are we insecure? The number one, the first one is this, is that we've let culture define who we are. We've let culture define who we are. We've let the way we look or our, the job that we have or how much we have in the bank or the followers and likes that we get, we've let that begin to define our worth. And I tell you today that has no power to define anything about you. Because some of the people that we see on the social media or some even the people in our life, I've met some people that on the outside looking in, they seem like they'd be the most confident, secure person ever. But deep down, they're empty. Deep down, it's like a house of cards. It looks beautiful, but you take one thing away, it all falls down. See, the beautiful thing about being secure and confident in who God is, is that God never changes. And we let him define who we are. I think about it this way, is that when we let culture define us, it's, imagine if you were to go to a museum, right? And you were to stand in front of a beautiful masterpiece painting. 
that is just incredible. And the person who painted it is standing right next to the masterpiece. And you're looking at it and you're like, oh, I like what you did there. Color scheme is good. Uh, I like the way you painted it. The brush strokes look very fine. Looks like you know what you're doing. Here's what I think it means. And you begin to tell the artist, the creator, what their creation means. And you're just completely getting it wrong. And the artist, the creator says, no, no, this is what it means. And you're like, no, 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 I think it means this. And the artist would have to tell you, hey, be quiet. I made this thing. I put the sweat and blood and stress into making this thing. So I'm the one who gets to define and tell you what it's about, what its meaning is, what it's worth. The same thing happens in our relationship with God. We let culture look at us and say, I think you mean this, or I think you're all about that, or this is what sums up your life. And God's like, you have no business telling my son and daughter, defining who they are. I'm the one that breathed life into them. I'm the one that created them. So let me tell you today, local church, God is the only one that gets to define you. And he's defined you as son and daughter. He's defined you as forgiven and set free. Do not anymore let culture define who you are. Yeah, and the second thing that why are we feeling insecure is that we've let our past define who we are. It doesn't matter if you've, this is your first time in church or if you are a pastor, you're gonna feel these insecurities. It's the number one thing that I believe that the enemy uses to keep you from what could be, to keep you from the closeness that you could have with God or the impact that you could have in the kingdom. Um, can I be transparent and real with you this morning? It's, for me, it's last night. It's, hey, you didn't prepare enough. You're not, you shouldn't be speaking tomorrow. It's this 90-day tithe challenge because shopping is something that I do for myself. So it's, hey, God isn't gonna bless you in that 90-day tithe challenge because you weren't a good steward with what you had anyway, so why bother? These are things that are gonna come into your mind and rob you. If this is your first time in church or maybe you've been two or three times and you just met God, you just got involved with these people and you're like, man, I feel so encouraged. And then you drive to work on Monday and you hear, well, they didn't really know the real you. So you don't really belong there because they don't know you. They, they really don't know what you've been through. They don't know what you've done. They don't know what your thoughts are. You couldn't possibly ever have a relationship with God like they do. You don't belong. But it's a lie. It's lies that are gonna keep you from growing in your relationship with God and from being having an impact in the kingdom. Yes. Because, and it's, it's, there's no hierarchy. We all go through it. But I tell you today that you have the power to silence it. The word of God says that we can keep, take every thought captive. So when those things arise of, hey, you shouldn't speak tomorrow, when I think that, I'm like, you know what? It's not me who's gonna be speaking, it's God who's gonna be working through me. And so I can give God exactly what I have. Here I, here I am, God, use me. It has nothing to do with me. It's a purpose and a plan that God had for today that nothing I did or didn't do could stop. And it's the same thing for the purpose on your life. Don't let your past define you because God doesn't let it define you. God realizes, hey, life's about moving forward. The big thing we do sometimes, if you imagine in our life, we're driving down the road, we constantly just stare in our rearview mirror of all the things that have happened, all the things that we've done. And God's like, hey, there's a reason the windshield is a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. That's because I want you to see the big things that are coming that I'm doing in your life right now that I'm moving you into. Don't let your past define you. 
Don't let your past rob you of being secure in who God created you to be. Because what we're going to talk about in the story we're going to unpack from the Bible is sometimes that story leads us right to where God wants us, to where he can show up in our life. Would you write this down for me before we pray and really jump into the heart of the message? Is that I'll never be right until I can see right. I'll never be right until I can see right. Now, this isn't like we have to physically be able to see right and get rid of our glasses and get surgery and all that. It's being able to spiritually see right, to have a healthy perspective. My prayer for you today is that when we get to the end of this conversation, even today, tomorrow morning when you look in the mirror, you're gonna see yourself in who you actually are. You're gonna see yourself in the right way. You're gonna see God in the right way. You're gonna see what it means to be in his life-giving community in the right way. See, our life moves in the direction of our strongest thoughts, and our thoughts are always impacted by our perspective. And I wanna give you a healthy perspective about who God is, about who you are, and your place, how you belong, how you matter, how culture and your past does not define you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today as we continue to jump into this conversation? God, I'm so thankful for everyone here. I'm so thankful for this conversation. I'm so thankful we have a safe place where we can talk about it today. And God, I pray that anyone who may be feeling insecure, maybe feeling like they're not enough, that they're inadequate, God, I pray today you would speak to them. They are your son and daughter who you love. And God, that they would hang on every word that we're sharing today. We would write down notes. We would be real about where we're at in our life. God, I pray for next door, all of our incredible local kids and our local kids team. Help our kids next door know even now, God, you matter and they can be secure in who they are in you and that Jesus, you love them so much. And God, I just pray you would bless every single person in this room today. You would be with us, be with us today in this conversation. We would walk out of this room today a little bit more free, a step further in our healing, knowing that you are a good God who is with us no matter what. And you are the one, you're the only one who gets to define us. And we love you, God. And I'm thankful, Lord, that over the last few days, the Bucks had a great draft. Moving into repeating next season. In Jesus' name, we all say and agree. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands. Let's get ready to jump into it today. Write this down for me. First blank on the back of your card. I want you to know this today. Every minute of every day, God loves you as his child. Man, if there's a few things that you hold on to when you leave this morning, I hope that's one of them. That every minute of every day, God loves you as his child. This is a practice we've been trying to lean into with our son, Shepherd, that we just wanted to know at all times that we love him, that we're always speaking life-giving things over him. Like, hey, we're proud of you, buddy. We love you. You're awesome. Even from like when he was, he's three years old now, even when he was like three months old, just telling him, hey, we love you, buddy. You're great. You're awesome. We're proud of you. And I want you to know that is the language that God speaks over your life as well, is that every minute, of every day, God loves you as his child. He is our perfect heavenly father. And we also love, you know what's great is that we love when God says nice things, we love when people say nice things about us, right? Now, now Adrian and I, we went to the same uh, middle school, private school growing up, and when you're in sixth grade at the school that we went to, they would do something really special for you because they know middle school is stressful, horrible, like some of the worst years, right? Because you're going through puberty, you're trying to be accepted by people, some, of, some people are looking great, some people are looking awkward, it's just what middle school is, right? And what happened on your birthday at the school that we went to in sixth grade is that the entire class 
would write a list of affirmations about you. Like a bunch of really nice things, they couldn't say anything mean, it was just really nice things that, that they would write down and at the end of the day, the teacher would read all of these nice things, all these affirmations about who you are. Now going into that, there was some pressure, right? Because you wanted to make sure that people actually said nice things about you, that there was more than a couple words. Like you didn't just want like nice, Everybody like, gets nice. Everyone gets nice. Like, what's that? You're nice. That doesn't help me at all, man. Like, like, go a little deeper, all right? Tell me why I'm nice. I'm an encourager, or I'm kind, or I'm, I'm servant-hearted, right? Don't give me nice. Give me something. Don't, don't give me, like, cool. You're like, what's that? That doesn't even mean anything. Give me something a little deeper. It's like, you know, you dress cool, or you talk cool. I don't know what it is. Give me something a little deeper. There was one that in sixth grade you always had to have on your affirmation list, and that was the word cute, like, if you got cute, you were flying high the rest of the school year. I'll be honest with you, I was an awkward middle schooler. And so I didn't get cute. I didn't get that. That's okay. I mean, I've got you're, married you're, now, so apparently now. at least one person thinks I'm cute, so we're okay. What I got, though, was even worse. Someone wrote down, I think it was probably the teacher, they wrote down handsome on there, which I'm like, that's what my grandma calls me, all right? That's not what you're looking for in middle school, all right? But still, it was, it's so funny that they would laminate that affirmation list, they would type it out and laminate for you, and my mom, like, confirmed this first service that it's still hanging up in, like, our kitchen where I got my sixth grade affirmations. And sometimes when I go home, I'm like, man, I'm feeling down today. Oh, look at that. Man, people loved me in sixth grade when I was 12 years old. I'm feeling good now. Let's keep going, right? And this just happened to you recently too, right? Yeah, well, we do these things to, like, combat, like, negative vibes in sixth grade. Like, okay, there's been a lot of negativity. Let's stir this up. That doesn't change as we get older. So they did literally the exact same thing at my workplace where everybody sent in, like, an anonymous affirmation. And I got this nice list. Somebody's out there writing pretty on people's affirmations, so I don't know who in the corporate workplace thinks that is a yeah, whoever that a staple is. in how you do your job. Whoever's writing pretty on my wife's affirmations needs to know what's up. It's nice you're trying to be nice, but check the ring, all right? There's a ring on it for a reason, all right? So stay away. But anyway, we like when people say nice things about us. It makes us feel good. Compliments really do empower us. Even if we don't like to be the center of attention, we do like when people notice. Because today I want you to hold on to the truth that every minute of every day, God loves you as his child. And there's a story in the Bible that speaks to insecurity. Let me just give you a real truth today that outside of Jesus, who was perfect, who was the son of God, who never did anything wrong, he was literally the perfect person that walked this earth blameless as the son of God, fully man, fully human. Outside of that, the Bible is filled with some messed up imperfect, insecure people. And we're going to talk about some of these people throughout these talks that, hey, there are people in the Bible for a reason who were messed up and broken to let us messed up and broken people know thousands of years later that, hey, there's a way out of it. And I want to talk about a guy by the name of Gideon who is found in the book of Judges, starting in chapter 6. Let me give you some context about Judges. Judges is a book of Judges. And what it means is, Judges is the term that was used way back when to talk about someone as a deliverer. Someone who was stepping into the nation of Israel as that time, at that time to deliver them out of the bad situations they got themselves into, okay? So the people of Israel, they always had issues with like God not being enough. Like one of their biggest complaints was God 
give us an earthly king, right? We just wanna be like every other nation. Give us a king that we can see. And God's like, you don't want that because kings are not perfect. They're messed up people just like you. Why don't you just trust me? Well, through that time, as God was just encouraging them to say, hey, trust me, and when they would still mess up, God would send someone, he would send a judge to deliver them from the situations they put themselves in. So in Judges chapter six, we find the nation of Israel has been completely overrun by the Midianites. Now these people had persecuted the Israelites, they had stolen from them, they had been completely destroying their way of life. And so it was time for God to send a judge, to send a strong person to deliver his people out of the defeat that they were walking in. And God does that in our life as well. He brings someone that's strong, that has a word for us, that has encouragement or strength for us that we don't see in ourselves to deliver us from the enemies in our life that are persecuting us and that are hurting us. So let's check out Judges chapter six. It'll be on the screen. It's on your card as well. It says this. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, not Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now, this first sentence is important to lean into. We see a few things. Number one, I want you to understand that when it says, then the angel of the Lord came, this is what the Bible scholars tell us is it either theophany or Christophany, where Jesus Christ himself, or the embodiment of God here on this earth, literally appeared to Gideon in this moment. So if Jesus is stepping on this earth a little bit before his time, it's probably important to pay attention to what he says and what he's doing. So and then Gideon, we find Gideon threshing the wheat in a wine press. Now for us, living not in farm culture, that probably doesn't mean a lot to us. But threshing wheat was a process where you would throw the chaff up in the air, it would blow away, and then what would fall to the ground is the grain, is what you would use to cook or eat or whatever. And they would use a pitchfork to throw it up in the air. But Gideon couldn't do it out in the open because if the Midianites saw him, they would come and beat him up and steal what he was preparing for his family. And so he had to find a spot. Now, when it says wine press, that's not like some nice wine-tasting room in their house. It was literally a pit dug in the earth that he was in. So not only was he doing something that was hard and humiliating to watch be done, he was also in hiding as well. See, sometimes in our life, we're going to be doing some hard work that we don't really see the efforts or the results coming. We're gonna be in sometimes a humiliating position of the way people have talked to us or the labels we put on ourselves, and that's gonna cause us to hide in fear of what may happen. And this, in this moment, in this scenario, is when Jesus appears, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says this in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now I don't know about you, but this little guy threshing wheat does not embody the picture of a hero does definitely not embody someone that the God is with, and Gideon realizes this. He goes right back and says, uh, sir, Gideon replied. Obviously in that sir, he's like, who are you talking to? Are you even talking to me? Do you see who I am? Do you see what I'm doing? And the angel of the Lord says, and Gideon replies, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? This is really key to lean into. And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Don't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? What is Gideon saying? Probably some things that we say to God sometimes. Hey, okay, yeah, you're the angel of the Lord. I'm some mighty champion of God. Where was God when all this stuff happened? You ever ask that question? God, where were you when all this bad stuff happened? Where were you when this disappointment or this heartbreak or this relationship was lost in my life? Where were you? 
And then he begins to speak to this idea of, I've heard you move in other people's lives, but you haven't moved in ours. You ever said that? You ever prayed that before or, or said that to God? God, I see you moving in other people's lives. You're not doing a thing for me right now. I feel like you're not answering my prayers. I feel like you're not moving in my life. I feel like you're not doing anything. Here's what the most important, honest thing Gideon does with God when it comes to facing his insecurity, because as we're going to see, he's a very insecure dude. He tells God honestly what he, what he feels about him. Some of us, for us to overcome insecurity in our life, we got to begin to tell God what we feel about him. We've got to be honest with him. Like, hey, God, I mean, I've grown up my whole life, and I feel like you've never spoken to me. I feel like you've never shown up. I feel like you're pushing me away. Or I feel like you've done so much other stuff in other people's lives, and I just feel forgotten. What does Gideon continue to say? If we keep going, it says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. Would you underline that phrase for me? Go with the strength you have. And rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Gideon goes a little deeper. He says this in verse 15. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. Remember, don't let your past define you. Gideon is saying, hey, I come from a family family who is the lowest on the lowest of the totem pole. And in that family, I'm the least in the family. Do you know who you're talking to? And God did know who he was talking to. Because of this entire family, Gideon was the only one that was actually not living in fear. Even though he was afraid, he was out still doing some work to provide for his family. Even though it was humiliating, even though it was hard work, even though he could have been killed by the Midianites for even being outside and doing this, did it anyway. So God knew he could use him. God knew he could speak into his life. God knew he could bring him out of his insecurity to become a deliverer for the entire nation of Israel. See, Gideon didn't know the strength that he had. Some of us, I think we forget the strength that we have in us right now. I would encourage you to, hey, go with the strength you already have. God is with you. God is on your side. Let's keep going. In, in verse 16, it says, Lord said to him, I will be with you. Underline that phrase for me today because I want it to speak to your hearts. That God will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Now, I love this story of Gideon. Now, I'm not going to tell you the end because you should go check it out yourself because it's really good. But I'm going to give you a little bit of the cliff notes of what happens. So God says you're going to go destroy the Midianites. Here's how God does it. Now, remember, dealing with a very insecure Gideon. So he tells Gideon, go rally an army. And Gideon does, probably feeling good about himself. He rallies an army in the thousands, ready to go attack the Midianites and defend their home, defend their people. And God says, you know what, Gideon? I know you're feeling good about rallying all these people, but that's too many people. This army's too big. How can an army be too big? I don't know. But that's in God's kingdom. Sometimes things work differently. And he says to Gideon, you got to let some of those guys go. And so he goes, okay, if you're afraid, if any of you, any of you in this army, Gideon tells them, are afraid, you could go home. That was just the permission a lot of guys needed. So they were gone. As soon as they said, you're afraid, you can go out of town. All right, they left. So that totally obliterated Gideon's army. Thousands of guys left. And then God again comes to Gideon and says, hey, I know you're still feeling okay about how many you have, but that's still too many, all right? We need to get this number down to even more because people need to know that this is God who is delivering you out in this battle. And so once one time the army is out at the water and they're drinking from the brook and and refreshing themselves and God says, hey, Gideon, if if these guys drank the water this way, they need to go home. And then you save these guys for, for the actual army. And it's down to 300 guys 
going against an army of 10 plus thousand people. And Gideon's probably like, well, I don't know what's going to happen, God, but, ooh, hello, fly. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, God, but uh, I'm going to trust you, and we're going to see how this thing goes. And in the end of the story, Gideon delivers Israel from the Midianites in a crazy battle that's amazing. It sees God move in an amazing, mighty way. Because he simply, listen, the important thing about today is Gideon simply believed what God said about him, even though he didn't believe about himself yet. He believed what God said about him. Can, I write, can you write this down for me today? Is that you are not a mistake or an accident. You are not a mistake or an accident. The beautiful thing that I see not only in this story, but time after time in every story in the Bible, um, to be fully transparent again with you, like I'm up here passionate about mental health things and having these conversations because I've walked through it. I continue to walk through it. And I see, I identify so much with this story where you feel like you're in hiding, you're working so hard to be okay and nobody sees it. But what does God do time and time again? He seeks them out, finds them when they feel alone and isolated and striving, and speaks directly to who they actually are, to what they actually have, shifts their perspective. But guess what? It was on Gideon to now walk in that. Yes. He could have stayed there in hiding, right? He could have said, you know what? God spoke to me, but he, d he doesn't know. Like, you know, that, that was a mistake or an accident and stayed there, but he stepped out and walked in what the Holy Spirit was saying. And so maybe you're in hiding in your thoughts. You know, you have that negative self-talk that we talk about where, you know what? I don't matter to anyone. I was an accident. My parents don't love me. I don't matter to my husband. I don't matter to my wife. No one sees me. Those things are lies from the enemy and they aren't true and it's negative self-talk that's gonna keep you from what God has for you. But guess what? He wants to tell you. He wants to tell you that you're a son and a daughter and it's not a small thing. It's not something that we just say in church because it's like church talk. It's your identity. And if the enemy can attack your identity, he can attack your relationship with God. And that's the foundation for anything. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. Believe when God seeks you out in his word, in a worship song, in an encouragement that somebody spoke into your life. Don't, don't minimize that. Yes. Hold on to it. It's the identity that God gave you. Now walk in it. Come on, if you receive that today, clap your hands and shout amen. That's good stuff today. We want you to receive it. Some of the most difficult times in my life I've been able to walk through because I've said to myself, if God's, I mean, I, I'm just going to believe what God says over what I'm saying right now. Yeah. And sometimes that's the most difficult thing to do. I was watching actually a TED Talk from uh, the former director of the National Mental Health Institute, and he was talking about how a lot of times we wait to deal with mental health issues till, till when it begins to manifest itself in outward behavior, right? Like when I begin to act this way, then, okay, I must, be doing, I must be dealing with some mental health in my life. But he talked about how they're not just like mental disorders. They're actually things that start in our brain because our thoughts in our brain always manifest themselves in behavior. Thoughts direct our behavior, right? Yeah. And he said if we can begin to find out when the downward spiral begins in our thought life, we're so much more likely to step in and people can find freedom and healing when we get it here before it begins to move in their outward behavior. That's what God was doing to Gideon. He said, hey, you may not believe this at all, but you are a mighty champion, a strong person of valor who I am going to use to do incredible things, and you need to go with the strength 
that you have. He's trying to change the way Gideon thinks about himself. Because what you think about is always going to affect the way you behave, the way you speak, all of these things. Did you know that there is a suicide in the U.S. every 11 minutes? Because people have been convinced that they're a mistake, they're an accident, and that this world is better off without them. Can I encourage you today, the world is not a better place without you in it, because God placed you in it for a reason. Your family and friends are not better off without you in it. They need you. They need you. We need you. If you're not feeling okay today, if you're struggling deeply with some insecure thoughts, don't leave this room without telling someone. Tell us. We want to hear about it. It's, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to not tell someone. Right. You don't have to tell everybody, but you got to tell somebody because mm-hmm. your secrets are only powerful when they're a secret. Yeah. When they're out in the open, remember Hello Darkness, my old friend? The whole reason we titled this is because sometimes the darkness we're carrying becomes a friend that we're comfortable having around. We've invited it into our home. We let it stay with us, and we're, it's time to kick that friend out and say, you've been loafing around, man. Stop eating my food. Get out of here, all right? I need to bring some light and hope into my house. That's what we're doing today. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. Let me read this verse for, your, for us as we move forward. Romans 8, through 34. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. I want you to underline the two times it says in that verse, no one. one. Who can accuse you? No one. Say it with me. Who can accuse you? No one. Believe that today. Not even yourself. Don't let your own voice condemn and accuse you because Jesus doesn't God doesn't it continues to say who will then condemn us no one you're not accused you're not condemned man when we say yes to Jesus in our life the Bible tells us there is no condemnation not a little bit not some not what we deserve there is no condemnation who can accuse you no one so don't let anyone do it Because it also says that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God pleading for us. Do you know what this means? It means that right now in this moment, Jesus is sitting at God's right hand, the all-powerful creator God, telling God, hey, they're dealing with some stuff, Lord. They're dealing with some stuff, Heavenly Father. They need you to speak life to them. They need you to bring some encouragement. They need you to show up and provide for them. He's pleading with his Father for you today, right now. If there's something that we can be secure in, It's the fact that the Son of God is praying for you and praying for me right now in this moment. He is pleading for us. Come on, Jesus is on your side today. He wants you to be secure and strong in who you are. This is the label I want you to wear. This is the promise I want you to walk in is that you are chosen. Write this down. You are chosen, adopted, and accepted. God chose you. God adopted you into his family means you're always welcome in his home. The third thing is he's accepted. Sometimes I think we stop at number two. Okay, cool. God created and chose me. That was great. Okay, God adopted me into his family. That's awesome. But then we have this idea that sometimes God is the father who's ashamed of us. God is the father who looks at us and says we never lived up to who we were supposed to be. God is a father who's only influenced by performance. 
but it says you're chosen, you're adopted, and you're accepted. Yeah. To know that you're accepted by God today. That when we trust in Jesus with our life, we're accepted by God. Adrian, would you read Romans chapter 8, verse 31 for us today? Yep. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Won't he also give us everything else? Would you underline, since he did not spare even his own son? I think I've told you this before, that sometimes we, one of the ways people have begun to define or describe love, the amount that you have, the amount of love you have for someone is what you're willing to pay for it. What's true today that God gave the life of his son, that Jesus gave his life for you? And if this verse is telling us that since God did not even spare his own son, doesn't it mean that you're so worth it, that you're so valuable, that even in the midst of our sin and our brokenness and our mistakes, just like the nation of Israel, God sent a deliverer. God sent someone to fight for us. See, the thing was that Gideon and his 300 soldiers, they weren't the only ones that were set free. Every person that went home because they were afraid, every family that stayed home or that was living in fear, they were set free as well because the power lies on who fought the battle. And Jesus fought the battle of sin and death for you and me, and he was victorious. And God did that to bring us back into relationship with him so that we could be forgiven and set free. You are worth it, you are valuable. God sees you. So as Adrian and I close, we wanna give you three things that I believe can change the insecurity you may be feeling I want you to know that these aren't just things that are in scripture. Again, they're things that out in the cultural world, people are saying these are the ways you can overcome insecurity. The first one. Yeah, the first one is seeing God correctly. To see God correctly. It's the foundation of everything. Your self-talk isn't gonna change. Your view of yourself isn't gonna change if your view of God is messed up because he defines you, right? So if the author and finisher of our faith, the creator God, the father of all fathers yes. is flawed in your view of him, you will always see yourself as flawed. Yes. If the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you is a liar, how are you ever gonna be secure in his hands and the purpose that he made for you? I think sometimes we don't even know how to hear the voice of God because we fill it in with our insecurities. It's okay to feel myself included, man, I'm anxious and I don't wanna feel that way. That's good, that can be the conviction of the Holy Spirit to go talk to someone, to go get help. But when I think, man, I'm not worth being part of local church because I'm anxious and I'm an anxious person, that's condemnation and that is not God. So knowing the difference between what is God, what isn't God, that God is good, that he is for you, that he loves you unconditionally. That verse that we read in Ephesians said that he chose you before you even existed, yes. before you had a chance to do right or wrong, before you had a chance to be perfect or be imperfect, he chose you and adopted you. When, when God says he adopted you, when you adopt someone, that means, hey, they are part of my family and I identify them for life. Yes. He identified himself with you for life before you did a thing. So if your view of him is that he looks down on you, 
that he sees only your negative things, that he's a God who lies and doesn't fulfill his promises, the view of yourself will always be weak and flawed and insecure. You have to see God correctly. We might be fighting against the way we grew up in a religious tradition that taught us that God is the one pointing the finger at us, saying, this is all the wrong things you've done. We want to let you know today that God is the one with arms wide open saying, I don't care what you've done, come be with me and I'll forgive you and set you free and I'll put you in a new journey of life that is better than you could possibly imagine. Maybe we were taught that God only cares about the right and wrong things that we do and it's just about climbing the religious ladder to get back to him. It's not what it is at all. Maybe we were taught that God is a distant God that wants nothing to do with us and all it is about figuring our own life out and eventually maybe God will show up. And God is involved in every single day of our life. And he's good. What is so powerful about seeing God correctly and knowing that he's good is that even when life's not good, I know God's good. Right. And that's more powerful for me to know that I can keep moving forward because if God is good, it doesn't matter the, what, I'm, what life is dealing me right now. I know God is good and he's gonna redeem it. He's gonna work it out. He is gonna be with me no matter what. We have to see God correctly. If I don't see Adrian correctly, our marriage is never going to be healthy. Yeah. If I don't see that she loves me, that she accepts me no matter what, that even in the messed up person that I am, she still welcomes me and still loves me and forgives me. And I, it makes, oh my gosh, I love her so much because I see her correctly. Same thing happens with God. It goes deeper. Here's the second thing, is that we need to see myself the way God sees me. See, it's not only just enough to see God correctly, now we have to see ourselves the way God sees us. Jesus used the term Heavenly Father to describe God all the time because he wanted to remind us that God sees us as son and daughter first. Not what we've done, not our inadequacies, not our insecurities. He sees us as son and daughter first, who belongs in his family, who belongs and is always welcomed in his house. One of the things we wanted to give you today, if you want it, is um, I talk about this example all the time, but I have this little dry erase marker here, and maybe it's a fight for you just to look at yourself in the mirror sometimes because all you see is inadequacies. All you see is where you're not like someone else. All you see is the wrong, the mistakes and pasts and culture things that define you. Well, over at the info bar when you leave, you can just grab one of these for free. And what I want you to do is, is whatever mirror you first look at, is I just want you to write some life-giving things on that mirror. I want you to write son. I want you to write daughter. I want you to write forgiven. I want you to write free. I want you to write healed, restored. I want you to write full of purpose. Whatever it is that is a promise of God, adopted, chosen, accepted, whatever it is, I want you to write it in big letters so that when you have to look through that word to then look at the filter of who you are, that you have to look through the lens of adoption, of accepted, of chosen, of forgiven and set free. You have to look through the lens of son and daughter to then see who you are because it all starts with what God says. We have people that practice this all the time in their church and they say it was a game changer. Something as simple as this, why? Because now it's training our mind to see ourselves in a different light. It's training our mind to see ourselves the way God sees us. And the third one is this, is to get around people who see me the way God sees me. And some of us, we're never gonna be secure in who we are. We're always gonna fight insecurity if we continue to surround ourselves with people who all they do is knock us down. With people who we are so afraid that they're not gonna accept us if we lose a certain thing about ourselves or don't follow this direction. 
Can I be honest? God loves to take care of you, and he's going to provide you with beautiful relationships and significant friendships in your life. So just trust him. Surround yourself with people that see you the way God sees you so that when you don't feel it, they can see it in you and speak it over your life. You know, I think, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, I've been meeting with some pastors again, just getting around, connected to them, to not only see, receive like mentoring and, and counseling and just help and learn from them. I've literally sat at a table with them and said, hey, I don't need you to, I don't really need to learn from you right now. I just need you to look at me and tell me that I'm doing a good job. Like, that's all I need. All I need is to say, hey, you're doing a good job. I need someone who's a little bit ahead of me in their faith, a little bit ahead of me in life, a little bit ahead of me as a pastor and say, hey, you know what? You're doing a good job. Okay, that five minutes, that was all I needed. I'm good. Let's go. Because we need that in our life. We need people around us say, you know, I see you the way God sees you. And I see you're doing a good job. I see you're forgiven. I see you're set free. I see you can keep going. I see you have strength in you. I see that you don't have to give up right now. This is the practical things. The marker was a practical way to see yourself the way God sees you. Getting around a life-giving community, man, it's just so much more than just a church Sunday experience. These things I'm about to give you, they're not announcements that you have to do. They're things that I know are going to be healing for you. That's why we talk about this thing called Growth Track every single Sunday. Giving you two weeks to sign up for it, to come hang out if you haven't been yet, because we want you to grow. We want you to know that you have purpose inside of you. We want you to know that you are in a life-giving community who sees the best in you and wants the best for you. That doesn't want anything from you, but everything for you, where you can come and grow, learn about yourself, know that you belong, know that you've been created with a deep, resonating why to make a difference to find purpose in this life. In May, it's our last month of circles before we take a break for our summer. It's a time this month to get into a circle. We have women's circles, men's circles, married circles. You gotta come and get at a table where people speak life to you, where you don't have to come and perform. You can just be who you are. You can come in with sometimes your insecurities or whatever, and people can speak life into you in that moment and say, hey, I've been going through the same thing or I've been there and I'm here for you. Let me speak some freedom over your life. Life. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And what I've learned about overcoming insecurity is that all these things, man, they are found in Scripture. And again, I want you to realize today that you're chosen, accepted, and adopted into God's family. But here's the thing. Everything that we talked about today, just now, mental health counselors and teachers and social workers are saying that this is the exact way you overcome insecurity. I literally Googled how to overcome insecurity, and here's what I found. Number one is to understand your value. The only way you can understand your value is to understand who gave you that value, right. seeing God correctly. The other thing they said is to, round, to, is to speak to yourself in a positive way. The only way you can do that is to see yourself the way God sees you, yeah. to speak to yourself. And, okay, if God sees this, okay, that's, that's life, that's power, that's a promise. Yeah. Third thing is, is to get around people who lift you up. See, get around people who see you the way God sees you. The world's already discovering what God's done a long time ago. The world's already prescribing what God has already prescribed for us from the foundations of the world. Before he created the world, he chose you and adopted you. We can overcome insecurity because God's with us and he's proud of us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? Thank you so much for joining us on The Local Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. 
A special thank you to everyone who gives to local church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to local.church/give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.